Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 27. So just before we get started, I thought I'd let you guys know that you should subscribe to the feed that you're currently listening to, the all-powerful Comics in Motion, because not only do you get, well, Star Wars Comics and Canon every Saturday, as well as all the other amazing shows, but also there's a new show, which episode two has just come out of, and that is called Comics on Trial. And the reason I mention that now specifically is because I'm egotistical and I appear in it. Uh, and also it's Star Wars related, so that's more so the reason. Um, but I go off against Scott Weatherly of the 20th Century Geek podcast, and I I defend Star Wars The Phantom Menace and he prosecutes against it and Paul of the Superheroes for Dummies podcast is the judge. So I had loads of fun doing it. It was great fun and Scott is an absolutely brilliant sport with uh, debates and things. So if you're interested in that, make sure you go check it out. It was released on September 20th. So if you just, depending on when you're listening to this right now, um, go into the feed of Comics Emotion, go down to September 20th. It will be between releases. So this is episode 27 of Star Wars Comics in Canon. Last week's was episode 26 so it'll be somewhere between there but yeah if you want me to try and defend Star Wars The Phantom Menace uh, against Scott go check it out anyway on to the show so this week I am tackling the fourth volume of the main run of Star Wars comics and that volume slash book is called Last Flight of the Harbinger Uh, I had to look up how to pronounce Harbinger because I thought it was either Harbinger or Harbinger and so I had to look it up Um, but anyway Flight of the Harbinger Um, within the actual comic itself it is issues number 20 to 25 but I'm only going to be tackling issues 21 to 25 because issue number 20 is another one of the journals of old Ben Kenobi and once the main run of Star Wars comics has got past all of the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi I'll then do a one-off episode just about all of the journals so quite excited for that because I personally haven't actually read many of these so I keep skipping over them and things so quite excited for that but that's a topic for another day. So the writer of this is Jason Aaron, the artist is George Molina, the colorist is Matt Miller and the inker specifically on issue number 24 is Scott Hanna. The first issue of this arc, number 21, was released July 2016. Uh, The final issue of this arc, number 25, was released November 2016. And the trade paperback collection was released January 2017. And for most of these Star Wars comics up till... I don't know, about issue 30 or so, I have the trade paperback collections, and I post on Instagram and Twitter as well, and Facebook, to be honest, uh, all at Genuine Chit Chat. I post pictures of the covers art, of each of the comics within it, normally the title crawl as well, uh, and the cover of the volume, just to kind of get a bit more information out. And I'm starting to slowly put the episodes on YouTube as well. It is currently on the Genuine Chit Chat YouTube channel, so go check that out. Uh, very few people listen to Genuine Chit Chat or any other show, really, or there's a podcast on YouTube that much, unless you're Joe Rogan. Um, but on Genuine Chit Chat, I've started putting them on there. I've started from the start, episode zero and one I've put together, and that was quite a few weeks ago. That's like a little special. And then I just dropped episode two, which was about Son of Dathomir. There's not really any difference. The audio is exactly the same. The description is the same. It's just that the artwork, you get to see the artwork of the cover on YouTube. That's about it. And a nice little visualizer thing that shows like a waveform showing my voice moving up and down while you're listening to it. So if you're interested in that and you haven't already listened to all my old episodes, now's a good time to subscribe on YouTube, go to Genuine Chit Chat, and just go through them. I'll probably be releasing one or two of them a week just to kind of vaguely catch up to where we are. But anyway, I digress. 
Just for clarity, if anyone is new here, um, I will say that this is the fourth volume of the main run of Star Wars comics. It is set after uh, well, Volume 3 and also the Vader Down crossover, and it is set around the same sort of time as the fourth volume of Darth Vader comics. So it's still between A New Hope and the first year after. So one ABY, one years after the Battle of Yavin, is still set between in that first year after they blew up the Death Star. Uh, so still quite early on. I would recommend going back and listening to other ones, but fortunately this episode is quite self-contained. Apart from the character Sana Staros and some referencing to previous volumes of Star Wars, pretty much all of this is contained with normal knowledge of Star Wars universe. It's about Star Destroyers and that sort of jazz, so it's quite core Star Wars, this sort of volume, so it's fun in that regard. And the last thing before I get onto the narrative, this annual does also have a little comic right at the back, and it is called Droid Dilemma. I'm not going to be tackling it, it's like a little fun comic. It was written by Chris Iliopoulos, and the colour artist is Geordie Belair. Uh, Chris wrote it, was the artist and the letterer. It's this nice little fun comic, it's at the back, it's, it's worth a bit of read, but it's basically a tribute to the late Kenny Baker. Uh, Kenny Baker was the um, individual with dwarfism who played R2-D2, essentially, in the original trilogy and most of the prequels he actually was inside r2d2 doing a lot of the, the movements and things and that sort of jazz that was actually an individual in there i said that to someone the other day and they didn't actually realize that r2d2 had kenny baker in there so that's quite a fun thing and i also found out that in the anthology movies and in last jedi and i think rise of skywalker there's another gentleman with dwarfism it's not Warwick davis it's actually a guy called jimmy v and he's the person who actually is in r2d2 for um the sequels essentially which is quite cool and one little last tidbit about kenny baker and things and warwick davis is that in return of the jedi warwick davis famously played wicket which is the little ewok who befriends leia uh, it's also my tortoise is named after wicket she's a female so called wicket um and the reason that warwick davis did it was because kenny baker was meant to but he was actually ill around the time of filming so they end up getting warwick davis who i think was meant to he was a child at the time i think he's only about eight years old but a lot of the ewoks are played by either children or individuals with dwarfism and kenny baker was meant to be the main one and yeah he was ill so he still just did the r2 stuff but yeah it's just a little fun thing that three individuals of dwarfism have had some probably incredible life changes just from star wars kenny baker from the original trilogy and the prequels being r2 warwick davis being a multitude of other characters in star wars which i'm not going to get into now and then jimmy v also being r2d2 but in the sequels so just thought that was cool it was nice to kind of read this and see about kenny baker and things and so just thought i'd throw that in there so before i start talking about some of the characters just here's the title crawl for this story arc book five the last flight of the harbinger it is a crucial time for the empire Rebel forces are proliferating across the galaxy, and their elimination is an imperative for the Imperial reign. For a mission this vital, the right team is essential, an elite group of stormtroopers hand-picked for their skills, loyalty to the Empire, and complete dedication to destroying the Rebellion. Leading this team is a ruthless Sergeant Creel, former undercover Imperial spy known as the Games Master, and warden of the infamous Smuggler's Moon on Nar Shaddaa, a man who answers directly to Darth Vader. Rebel pilot Luke Skywalker has evaded Sergeant Creel's attacks once before, but he and the rest of the Rebellion have not seen the last of the Empire's wrath. 
So issue number 21, the first one in this proper arc, because as I said, you know, issue 20 in this little volume is actually the journals of old Ben Kenobi. But so issue 21 is actually, it's all from the perspective of Scar Squadron. So little information, Scar Squadron are basically called Task Force 99. Uh, they're called Special Commando Advanced Recon, which is what the name comes from. And the sergeant of them is Games Master Creel. Uh, he was from volume two of the main run of Star Wars comics, a showdown on Smuggler's Moon. It's when and Luke went to Narshadar and he went in that like Colosseum thing and fought, what was it, Congo the Disemboweler or something, which I think is the greatest name of anything ever. It just cracks me up whenever I hear it. Um, and he trained a little bit of lightsaber battling with Creel, who was just called the Games Master at the time. And it turned out he was like an Imperial spy for trying to get Gracchus the Hut and all the artifacts and stuff. Go back and listen to that episode. It was quite a while ago, but go back and listen to it because it's quite a lot of fun. But he's who that is from. And also they're called Task Force 99, which is actually named after Clone Force 99. Clone Force 99 is the Bad Batch, so if anyone's familiar with Clone Wars Series 7, that's why. And a lot of you may be thinking, well, this comic seems to predate Series 7 of Clone Wars. That's just because the ideas for the Bad Batch and the name, and a lot of actually the animation they did for certain episodes were already done. And then obviously Clone Wars got cancelled when Disney bought it out and blah 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 and all that sort of stuff. So they kind of, when they made the comics, they named this special task force 99 after that as well and the clone force 99 was named clone force 99 after the clone called 99 who is in the first two or so seasons of clone wars and i'm not going to say what happens to him but it's great and he's an amazing character and it's very emotional Anyway, back to this comic. So as I said, it's about Scar Squadron and it's just from their perspective and things and there's like a monologue going on from Sergeant Creel. I'll just read a bit of it for you. I was four years old the first time I saw a man die. I cried like a baby that time, and at least the next dozen more. Two years later, when it was my own father who was being murdered in front of me, I had no more tears left to shed. A week after that, I was the one doing the killing. Everything on my homeworld of Chagar 9 revolved around the fighting pits. For the people rich enough to sit in the stands, and for those of us too poor to buy our way out of the hole, I figured that would be my life for as long as I was able to survive. But then one day, everything suddenly changed, forever. That was the day I saw the most beautiful sight I'd ever seen. The day I saw my first stormtrooper. So that gives you an indication of what kind of life the Sergeant Creel was had and sort of things like that. Um, he's a very interesting character, I will say. And I did check, Chagar 9 doesn't really seem to be anywhere else in canon, so we'll just kind of glaze over that. So basically the comic is uh, the Scar Squadron land on this planet to sort out some rebels. Um, they realise it's like an ambush in this sort of town that's quite derelict and things. So they use their jetpacks. So each of the members of Scar Squadron have got jetpacks. They attack the rebels. They shoot a building down with a rocket launcher, which is quite cool. Um, while they're kind of going after the rebels and things. And then they end up shooting at some more rebels and things. Um, they, they then got some speeder bikes and things like that. And then there's still a continuous monologue. I'm not going to read the entire monologue throughout this. But if you really want to hear it all, go read the comic, you know. Um, the monologue shows that the Empire basically brought peace and meaning to Creel and his life. He went into the Imperial Academy and he had a friend who he kind of did the Academy with. And then on the first mission, he got killed by rebels. And then he's now got this grudge against rebels. He, in fact, calls rebels terrorists, which is quite a common thing in the Empire. Then back at the sort of main story-ish, um, there's this tank that's coming by and they're shooting at them. So they... The Scar Squadron hide in the sewers to try and kind of get past the tank. The squad themselves actually seem to distrust Creel, and what it turns out is Creel was their new sergeant. Uh, it doesn't explicitly say what happened to their old sergeant, but after Creel did that undercover mi mission in the Volume 2 of Star Wars, and, you know, the Games Master, Gracchus the Hut, etc., he then basically got a promotion, and they said, you can do whatever you want, and he decided Scar Squadron, so there you go. 
So as they're going through the sewers and things, you know, there's little mutterings of the rest of the squadron saying our old sergeant wouldn't have made us go through the sewers, all that sort of things. And, you know, there's like a really, really big guy called Zook. In fact, the Bad Batch and Scar Squadron are very similar to each other. I really hope in the Bad Batch series that's coming out next year that maybe there'll be some kind of actual in-universe connection to that as opposed to, you know, one was going to be used in a series, it couldn't be, so they kind of used the name and the style for a comic and then, you know, they came back. And then while they're going through the sewers trying to, you know, get around this tank and things, something called a Dianoga gets Creel, and he uses a knife and manages to kind of slice through, and the squad just stand back, and they specifically do not assist. One of them goes to help, and then they get pushed back by the other one and says, wait. So it's kind of showing that Creel can prove himself as their leader. Now, I want to say that a Dianoga, you may not recognize that by the name, but everyone will know what a Dianoga is. And it's actually the weird eye tentacle thing you saw in A New Hope when they fall into the garbage disposal uh, and that thing wraps around Luke's leg and pulls him underneath and they manage to escape and things. Now, Dianogas are actually really interesting. They're, you'll find out a lot more about them, almost the most information about them in canon, is actually from the book A Certain Point of View, which is the 40 short stories giving for, given to supporting characters from A New Hope and basically different perspectives of the main story and it's a story called the baptist and it's actually a really cool story and it is about the dianoga living in that garbage chute how she kind of got in there and things like that um essentially dianogas they're seven to ten meters big they're sentient beings as well which is interesting they come from the planet vodrom and they're actually hermaphroditic so they're a hermaphrodite, essentially. Pronouncing some of these words is quite difficult. They're a hermaphrodite cephalopod. So it's basically like a giant 7 to 10 meter sentient squid being that is also gender fluid. So they can choose to be male, female, or diangus. Diangus is like their third gender. I think it's like kind of none. Um, how they actually mate is that they just exchange eggs. So you get an egg from someone else, you assumedly put it in your egg sack, and then you birth it, and it kind of combines. It's quite random, quite peculiar, but it's a really cool thing, and it's just nice little fun facts about Dianogas. Anyway, back in the sewer. So the tank actually start, shoots the sewer entrance area sort of thing, and the tank actually falls into the sewer. And all of the squad are trying to deal with it, but the tank is shooting you know, tank shells at them and kind of incapacitating them. Uh, Creel kind of walk, does this quite badass wall run, and then he ignites a lightsaber and then slices open the tank and things. They manage to defeat all the rebels, and then there's one rebel left, and they basically need these access codes to get into the data that the rebels have, and apparently it's going to take droids days to be able to get that data due to the level of encryption, or they can get it out of this guy by torturing him. And that is how the comic ends. So it's pretty bleak, pretty dark. Um, if you're wondering how he got a lightsaber, it's not specifically said, but in the Volume 2, uh, where he was called the Games Master and things, I think he may have got it from Gracchus the Hunt, that's kind of like a, a subtle hint to it and he's just quite good with a lightsaber so you know vader and that like kind of let him have it but yeah he has a lightsaber so that makes him a bit more of an interesting uh, antagonist and that's basically the end of that comic i kind of whizzed through it because there isn't actually that much dialogue it's just a lot of cool action stuff uh, and as you know in the show i don't like to try and overly describe action because i'll be here all day if you want the action read the comics i can't say that enough please read the comics i know a lot of you listeners like to read the comics alongside me doing this which is really cool and that's a really fun way of doing it because of all the connections and things i make so yeah on to the next comic anyway so the rest of these comics, they are going to be in the more standard Star Wars comic format. You know, it's going to be Luke, Han, and Leia primarily, and then there's like two or three kind of storylines going on at once. They're normally in the same general area, but it's kind of what they're doing. So issue number 22 
it starts with Red Squadron and the Falcon taking on a Star Destroyer. And what happens is the Millennium Falcon actually flies towards the back of it and manages to use a proton bomb to blow a hole in the rear of it. And when that happens, then Wedge Antilles, who's a famous name, I'm not going to go into details about Wedge, but if you don't know who he is, shame on you, he's amazing. Uh, Wedge, uh, he shoots some torpedoes at the hole in the Star Destroyer to try and, you know, they're trying to get the main reactor. That's what they're speaking about, trying to blow it up. Wedge can't do it, so what Luke does instead is Luke tries to go for it, and Han actually says to him, use the force to make another impossible shot, obviously referencing New Hope, and instead of doing that, Luke tries to fly into the hole made from the proton bomb, and he manages to do it successfully, because of course he does, and uh, he shoots the main reactor. Then, so there all these alarms and things are going off, and these officers on, the Imperial officers on the ship, they basically say, we need to abandon ship. We've got about seven minutes until the reactor overloads and goes into meltdown or whatever. So the Falcon lands in the hangar, kind of going past all of these fleeting Imperials flying out of the Star Destroyer in TIE Fighters, and the Millennium Falcon flies in, which is quite amusing. And then Han, Chewie, and Leia kind of zip off and trying to sort things, while Sena Staros stays with the ship. Back at the reactor area, Luke manages to, you know, starts to destroy and blow up and things, and there's like one engineer left. He's kind of muttering to himself, saying, oh, if I can only do this, I'll save the reactor. And Luke hits him with a gun and knocks him out. Then the trio get to the reactor, and then Luke says to Wedge over the comms, he's like, look, you need to leave this reactor, it's going to go. And then as he says that, it kind of cuts out, and then the whole ship completely explodes, and one of the admirals, this is quite a dark part, one of the admirals in the sort of fleeing TIE fighters says, oh, Vader wants to know about our progress. And the last panel you see of him is actually the admiral asking for his subordinate's blaster before answering the thing from Vader. So we already know, I've said about it a little while ago, there was an Imperial officer who shot himself in the head instead of confronting Vader. And I think this might be another one of them, which is pretty dark, but it's all in good fun. Because they're Imperials, you know, that's that's the logic, I guess. <laughs> then, obviously, the ship explodes and Wedge is, like, calling out. He's, he can't get any answer and things and, you know, devastating. But all of us who've seen the films know they survive. So there's <laughs> there's that sort of tension gone. Um, a week later, there's two TIE fighters that are in the area. And they're talking amongst themselves and saying there have been five Star Destroyers been lost in the last week or so in, like, one sector, which is very uncommon. And then the Star Destroyer, which is called the Harbinger, appears and immediately destroys the TIE Fighters and then it shows the trio are on the bridge as well of Luke and Sana as well and essentially there are 200 rebels piloting the ship when a Star Destroyer normally needs thousands of people to operate it so it is very much a skeleton crew and it turns out that the hyperdrive is fried and they're light years away from where they're trying to go. So in the next comic, number 23, it goes into detail of you know, what they're doing, why they're there, etc, etc. So a few days before, you know, that week later, a few days before, back in the reactor room, essentially everything's going mental, you know, they're all in there thinking this reactor's going to explode soon, what are we going to do? We're trying to you know, turn it off in time, we can't do it, that's not working. So what they end up doing is they actually jettison the malfunctioning reactor out and Star Destroyers have a secondary reactor. I don't think it's that strong. It's not quite enough, but it's like a backup sort of thing. So they jettison the other reactor, and as the other reactor explodes, they immediately use hyperspace and disappear. So anyone who's nearby, it looks like the Star Destroyer just explodes, when obviously the main reactor part exploded and they just disappeared into hyperspace at the perfect timing, which is a very clever idea. Then it does another flashback. So you've got present time is a week after they stole the Star Destroyer. Then a few days before that was when they were 
dealing with the reactor and whatnot and then several days before that so the start of any of these comics is actually goes to luke and leia speaking with rebel high command now the high command basically is akbar you know admiral akbar it's a trap the mon calamari uh mon mothma who is she's ginger-haired uh white woman wearing as in she wears a lot of white she is caucasian is it does caucasian work in star wars I, i'm not sure i try not to really delve into race in star wars because it's just a bag of worms i don't want to get into but mon mothma wears very much a lot of white things she's in a new hope in the briefing room and they're talking about blowing up the star destroyer she's also in rogue one because she speaks with Jin so she's there with bail organa speaking about stuff she's in rebels she's in clone wars in the slightly more expanded universe as in you know the books the comics all that sort of stuff she's very much in it she's even in yeah as i said rebels and clone wars quite a lot so she's not that central in the film but she's a very important character and she's also there with general dodana general dodana he is actually in a new hope as well him and mon mothma are the ones in the briefing room so i think at one point mon mothma says i'm going to pass it on to general dodana to give you information to destroy the death star and he walks on he's just like a bloke with a beard essentially so that's a rebel high command Essentially, there's a planet called Turin 7, and it needs help. They're sympathetic to the rebel cause. They provide secret aid to the rebels, but they are now starving because the Empire has clearly figured that out, and they're implementing a blockade. They're stopping all supplies, all shipments, or anything going in and out of the system, and it's causing a lot of trouble. They've basically... There's two moons for the planet, and the moons are completely full up with TIE fighters, essentially. So the rebels have already tried three different attempts to try and save the people, like deliver some sort of supplies and things, and every attempt has failed failed spectacularly to quote them so luke and leia come up with a bright idea to steal an imperial star destroyer uh, the rebel leaders are quite hesitant but they say well because it's luke skywalker and leia organa we'll let you do it so now back to sort of present day um, the engines of the hyperdrive are down on the star destroyer the harbinger and han says to go and hide the ship wait a little bit repair it fully and then you can go on a full-scale assault Leia completely disagrees with them and says, look, if we wait, the people are already starving and dying on Turin 7. If we wait any longer, it might it might be too late. So we're not going to wait. We're just going to go with this Star Destroyer that's falling apart and there's not really much you can do about it. There's meant to be this rebel admiral who's meant to show up, who's meant to be like a, seemingly like an expert on Star Destroyers and meant to be able to help pilot it and stuff but he hasn't shown up at all they don't know where he's gone and han wants to be the captain of the ship leia says no han says come on and they kind of bicker and stuff in these comics there's a lot of bickering between them and it gets commented on a lot so it kind of bridges the gap a little bit between them seemingly kind of partly hating each other in a new hope to them you know kissing in uh, empire strikes back so han says won't we do this the old-fashioned way let's do a race race from where they are which is on one end of the ship all the way up to the bridge and Leia says no, and then kicks Han in the shins and runs. <laughs> so, and Han calls out something like, I thought we weren't cheating. And she's on, we're on an Imperial ship, of course we're cheating. And as they kind of run away and things, uh, San Staros is there, and she basically says that Han and Leia are madly in love with each other. Uh, she says that to C-3PO, and C-3PO is laughing and doesn't really believe her, and goes talks to R2, and is like, R2, you never hear this, the silly thing that Commander Staro said. Uh, Luke appears and things and asks what, kind of what's going on and then he gets cut off by the bridge saying oh there's something on the scanners we need some help here so Luke and Sana decide to kind of head up and what they end up doing is actually flying TIE fighters because Luke says to Sana have you ever flown a TIE fighter before <laughs> and there goes to the next panel so back to Han and Leia's flirting um, Han knocks Leia over with a speeder bike obviously she got a head start on him and so Leia decides to get a spacesuit to try and you know outflank him and I'm just going to read a bit from... There's this dialogue exchange between Sana and Luke, which I think is quite cool. So I'm going to read that to you guys. 
Right, so I'm going to do it back and forth between uh, Luke and Sana. I'm going to leave a little gap so hopefully you can understand. So it starts with Sana. Just ease into it, kid. The controls take a bit of getting used to. Right, I think I've got it. Where do you say you flew TIE Fighters before? Coruscant. And I wouldn't say flew as so much as stole and crashed. But I did it with style. Coruscant? What was that like? Crowded. There's people in every direction, even up. Buildings as far as the eye can see. It's sort of like Narshadar, only with less grime. And if I had to choose, I'd go with the grime. Grime's got personality. That many people, huh? I haven't seen that many people in my whole life. Well, where are you from, kid? You've probably never heard of it. It's called Tatooine. Oh, I've heard of it, boy. No wonder you joined the rebellion. I'd have done anything to get off that rock too. You're not wrong, but that's not why I'm here. I was meant to be here. My entire life on Tatooine feels like... Almost like it was leading up me to this moment. Fighting alongside the rebellion. This is my family now. I wouldn't go calling Han Solo your family if I was you. That doesn't tend to go well for people, believe me. So you say, but you're still here, aren't you? You know why I'm here, and it's not because I believe in any other cause other than my own. I'm not leaving until I get what Han owes me. You're a smuggler. If it was only about the money, something tells me there are easier ways to make a payday. It's the principle of the thing. You wouldn't understand. But you people definitely don't make things easy. I'll give you that. And then it basically ends with them being able to see a ship. But it's not an Imperial vessel, so it appears to be an Alliance ship. And they kind of fly up to it, and they're wondering why it's not answering their calls and things. And the Admiral, so the guy who's meant to be flying the Star Destroyers, is tied to the front of the ship. And to clarify, these ships are in space, so he is all frozen. He's got a rope around his neck, his arms, his legs, and he's tied to the front of a ship in space, which is pretty gruesome. And so in response to that, Sana immediately starts shooting at the ship to blow it up, and Luke is going, like, kind of freaking out a bit, like, what are you doing, sort of thing. And then immediately Sana says to the Harbinger, high alert, quick, something's gone wrong here, this is basically a distraction or something like that, high alert, we need to get something sorted here. While this is still all going on, Leia is still racing Han, or rather they're racing each other, and Leia, you kind of see her pass Han. She goes past the window in her spacesuit while he's still flying his speeder bike. Han then gets to the bridge, and Leia is already there, and, you know, fair play, and then an Imperial shuttle appears. Now, I have spoken about this shuttle in previous comics as well, but I don't think I gave it its full name and etc., so I'm going to do that now. Essentially, the shuttle I'm speaking of is a Lambda Lambda class, so like L-A-M-B-D-A, Lambda class T4A shuttle. Uh, you'll recognise it because it's basically a box with three fins, one at the top and two coming off each corner. It was first shown in episode 6, but it was actually put into the special edition of episode 5. Obviously, I'm talking about Empire Strikes Back, not my own show. Um, so the special edition of Empire Strikes Back shows the Imperial Shuttle, but Episode 6 was really the first time people ever saw it. And actually, there's a book called Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, which I'm reading at the moment. And funnily enough, they identify that's one of the first times it was identified in canon as a Lambda-class shuttle. I'm pretty certain in Legends it's been called that for ages but it's nice to know that the book i'm reading is that's my thing trying to read all the comics and all the books and all that sort of stuff i'll be the canon king i won't i'm that's a ridiculous thing to say but you know <laughs> so it's, it's basically the imperial shuttle with three fins one coming off the top two come off the corners that's called either a t4a shuttle an imperial shuttle imperial transport is kind of another one as well or lambda class so what's happening is you see the Imperial shuttle appearing in things, but there's conversation in the shuttle which basically shows that it's it's snuck by undetected, and it's it's Scar Squadron in there. I'm not gonna faff about trying to pull the blanket off. Who could it be? It's Scar Squadron, and they're basically speaking and saying, "Oh, it must be running on skeleton crew because only 
half the scanners are active. So they go in there undetected and kind of uh, dock with the bomb on the ship. And then Creel cuts a hole with his lightsaber and they sneak in. And Creel makes this some sort of comment and basically saying, the rebels stole the Star Destroyer. We're here to steal it back. So that kind of badassery. So for issue number 24, uh, it starts off with, I'm going to read the things that are wrong with the Star Destroyer. The hyperdrive is still down. The backup reactor is on the verge of overload. Not sure how much longer we can keep all the engines firing. We're already losing power to some of the sectors. The shields are spotty at best. And then this morning, our entire bank of ion cannons suddenly went offline, and we have no idea why. In other words, this is officially the worst Star Destroyer in the entire galaxy. Congratulations, Captain. That's Han Solo saying that to Leia. So Luke, Sana, and three other rebels are in maintenance, trying to you know, fix some of the things. They're trying to sort out the cannons because they're getting nearer to their destination. Sana says she has a bad feeling about this and kind of critiques Luke for being a bad Jedi because he doesn't really go with his feelings and things that much. And she actually says, I've got a dopomigula about this. And Luke says, my hutties is rusty, but I'm guessing that doesn't mean good feeling. So I presume I've got a bad feeling about this in hutties is dopomigula. So there you go. Leah asks Han to be the helmsman to help her sort of guide the ship and things, and R2 finds an anomaly which is causing some of the issues with the ship. Um, as he kind of speaks to C-3PO about this sort of anomaly, Luke and Sana find some blaster marks on the walls, but they can't find the other maintenance crew. So there was one that went down there before them that they haven't heard anything from in hours. So they go down there and there's blaster marks, but there's nothing else. There don't seem to be any bodies. And then the next panel shows loads of bodies of rebels floating in space, which is quite morbid. Then suddenly there's an explosion on the bridge, which is quite near Leia and Han, and Leia kind of gets blown back a little bit. And then C-3PO is saying about what he's with R2-D2 and Chewie at this time, and he's like, oh, what's going on? Uh, I just heard an explosion, I think. And then in the background of him, you see another projectile that looks like a, some sort of rocket, and then another explosion happens. While the, both of those things happen, Luke gets hit in the face, so in, he gets punched square in the face, and it's basically Scar Squadron are attacking the troopers attempt to sort of take the bridge uh, and also trying to take maintenance as well. And there's the big guy I mentioned before called Zook, who's just this really big hulking dude. And he is basically with the droids and they obviously C-3PO immediately surrenders. And because of the explosion that happened, Chewie is kind of not nowhere to be seen. Now just to clarify this, little, this next bit, I'm going to be flicking between the three of them fairly quickly. So it might be a little bit confusing, but it does all marry up. So... Sergeant Creel is standing over Luke, and then Luke kicks his blaster out of the way and ignites his lightsaber and kind of goes for him. Meanwhile, Leia and Han are trying to sort out everything that's going on, on the bridge. They're saying, full speed ahead, we need to keep on going, keep this Star Destroyer moving and things, even though we're getting shot at and stuff by the other stormtroopers and whatnot. To clarify, Scar Squadron is a squad of, I believe it's like five or six people, so they've all sort of split up and done their own thing. Then while this big guy Zook is at the reactor, Chewie attacks him. Obviously Wookiees are very strong, but so is other guy, so it's kind of like a battle of brawn. Then one of the rebels with Sana, who they're being attacked obviously by another group of the squadron, he says, look, we need to get the masks on, then we can open up the airlock and jettison them into space. Sana says, oh, I don't have a mask, and before she can really finish the sentence, the airlock opens up. Meanwhile, Creel reveals himself to Luke as they fight. He says, you know, I'm Sergeant Creel, I'm the game's master, you're not very good with the lightsaber since we fought before, you know, that sort of kind of taunting and etc. Then 
back to Sana and the kind of group of rebels and stuff. They activate the airlock and Sana manages to like grab onto something and doesn't get jettisoned out. However, the three rebels do get jettisoned out, but they're all wearing their masks. They're out there with two of the members of Scar Squadron. One of them gets basically kicked into one of the engines of the Star Destroyer, it seems, so that's a pretty unpleasant way to go. The other one gets killed because one of them slices the sort of connecting of the mask to wherever the air comes from. That gets sliced, so that's another one gone. And then there's one rebel left who aims a blaster at one of them, and then an Imperial TIE fighter goes past and shoots him. So it's a pretty clear-cut way to get rid of all those rebels. The TIE fighter requests that the Harbinger identifies itself because it's getting nearer to the blockade on Turon 7. And while that's happening, Scar Squadron is kind of going, I don't think they're going to really respond to that TIE fighter and things. And then the Star Destroyer accelerates more and more and just smashes into both of the other Star Destroyers. It kind of grazes the edges of them quite heavily. Then while that's all going on, sort of all of the crew are kind of now fighting the respective, you know, Luke and Creel are fighting and except you know, they're all kind of fighting except Sana. She's managed to close the airlock and just sat there having a breather because obviously she, <laughs> she couldn't breathe while the airlock was open. Then as they get closer to Turon 7, they request that Blue Team gets sent out. Uh, Blue Team is just a squadron of X-Wings and things. They go out and start um, skirmishing with the TIE fighters and things that will come off the moons of that blockade. And then this comic ends with Creel saying to Luke, basically you're a moron, we could have blown up the Harbinger days ago, we just specifically didn't, because the boss wanted you. And then, who do you think appears? Darth Vader. He doesn't fully appear where they are, but he's, I think, in his own TIE fighter flying about, and he says, you know, come in, Scar Squadron. So the final issue of this comic. So... It's one of the issues with these comics. I love them to pieces. They're really fun. But the thing is, they're so action-packed sometimes, it does become quite hard to read the narrative side. But here we go. Final comic. Scar Squadron attempts to take control of the ship remotely, and R2-D2 is actually at one of the sort of ports and things, and he is managing to prevent them doing it. And one of the stormtroopers says something like, oh, I'd really want to meet this guy who's managing to block me, and shake his hand, and then punch him in the face. Because he's like, the techie one. You know, in, in Scar Squadron, it's quite similar to the Bad Batch. There's a really big strong one, there's a sniper one, there's the leader, there's a techie one. You know, it's that sort of thing. And there's two of the troopers that were outside in space that got jettisoned and killed those other rebels. They managed to come back in, and then Sana ambushes them. Jettisons one of them straight into an escape pod, and he's off on his jolly way. And then Sana tries to fight the other one. She says you might as well make it a fair fight instead of just shooting me with a blaster. And he gives her like an electro club. Because, you know, the biggest trope in all villains is being too cocky. So they are fighting with these electro club things. While that's happening, a space battle is raging. Um, Leia and Han are still defending the bridge. They're kind of like ducking and covering and shooting behind them and blasters are firing out and everything is smoking and things. And while that's happening, Creel and Luke are still fighting with lightsabers. Creel is kind of mocking him, saying that he's not very good at it and things. And Vader speaks to him over comms and says, Do not injure my prize. Creel manages to down Luke, and as Luke is actually on the floor, you know, about to be hit or wounded or something or captured, Luke then pushes out with the force and flings Creel into this huge thing of boxes all the way across the room and knocks him out. Now, this is actually quite a big moment because up until this point, Luke has almost not used the Force at all. So, obviously, in A New Hope, you hear him hear voices. You know, he hears uh, Obi-Wan's voice and he shoots the Death Star using the Force or not his targeting computer. And these little kind of Force-sensitive moments, in a sense, but not necessarily utilising the Force. Now, the last time we actually saw Luke use the Force, like, properly, in a sense, like an actual Force ability was actually in the first volume of the Star Wars comics, the very first one, I think it's called Skywalker Strikes. 
And it actually was when he fought Boba Fett in Obi-Wan's uh, hut when um, Luke's trying to find his journal. And he's fighting off against Boba Fett and he actually, right in anger, right in a moment that he's about to get bested, he uses the Force and flings this box and it hits Boba Fett in the head. So that was actually one of the last times we even saw him use the Force. So him using the Force here is slowly showing his progression. But to my knowledge in canon, I, up until this point, I don't think Luke has ever done a Force push. Which is good, because I don't want these comics to have Luke being ridiculously powerful, because obviously when he's in Empire Strikes Back at the start, he's only just able to use Force Ball to get his lightsaber when he's stuck in the Wampa Cave. But it's, it's really cool to see this progression. So yeah, anyway, Luke just Force-pushed Kreel and KO'd him, essentially. And then Chewie manages to throw the big guy, Zuke, into like this wall of... It looks like servers and electrical equipment and stuff, and he gets electrocuted. And then... Sana gets hit really hard in the stomach by one of these club things by the other stormtrooper, but she manages to stab her club into his jetpack. And as that happens, she's on this platformy thing, she presses a button and the platform drops out, I believe it's essentially like the airlock, it drops out and then just as he falls and Sana falls as well, you see a hand reach out and Luke manages to grab Sana just before she gets sucked into the airlock. They manage to restore the power to the cannons, which obviously gives them an upper hand while this whole big giant skirmish is going on. And the rebels and the supplies leave while the harbinger provides cover fire. So the rebels and the supplies just jettison all the escape pods. They go off, they land on Turin 7 and try and give supplies to all those starving people. And that's all going on while there's still kind of big space battles happening. Han is saying that he's having a terrible job trying to fly the ship. He said, the control's completely shot. I don't even really know what I'm doing or how I'm even handling it. And it goes a little panel cheekily to R2-D2 who's steering the ship, which furthers the theory, or rather the reality, that R2-D2 carries basically the whole Star Wars universe. If you think about it, in basically every trilogy, they couldn't have done half the things they wanted to do if it wasn't for R2-D2. Obviously, in like Phantom Menace... R2 saves them all, so that would have been Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon gone, Anakin would never have become a thing, Palpatine probably would still rose to power, but he wouldn't have had Darth Vader to kill him, so, and then also, you know, even if those things hadn't happened, you've got in the uh, sequel trilogy, he's got the map to Luke Skywalker, all kinds of things, R2-D2 is the most powerful character in all of Star Wars, I don't care who you are, you could argue Palpatine's more powerful, Palpatine could take him in a fight, he is not more important, R2 is Bay. okay, I just want to get that off my chest. So back to the story, uh, Luke flies to basically help the ships and things going on. He provides some cover fire and things because they're saying that the moon bases are still causing a lot of problems. So he flies an X-Wing to try and blow up the moon bases to kind of give them a lot of covering fire and things. And while that's happening, you've got C-3PO kind of aimlessly wandering around the Harbinger, trying to work out where to go. He's essentially getting lost. Then the Scar Squadron decide to blow up the ship. Creel's arm is actually crushed by one of those boxes and he kind of wakes up with his arm being crushed by this box and he's got the rest of the Scar Squadron saying look what do we do do we go to plan B because plan A is trying to steal it back plan B is just blow it up he agrees he says yep let's do it let's blow up the ship go ahead with that and he has got his arm stuck under this box so he ignites his lightsaber and pushes the lightsaber to where his shoulder is and then says he'll be along shortly this might be one of the most brutal styles comics I've read actually it's amazing Back to the bridge, Han throws the thermal detonator in the bridge trying to dispose of all what's going on, and they get sucked in out, as in him and Leia get sucked out into space. He's fortunately got two masks, and they're just kind of there, floating in space, and he very kindly says to Leia, look, come here, I'll give you a big push, you'll get away from this ship that's about to explode, and she's like, well, what about you? And then as that happens, Sana appears in the Falcon and is like, am I interrupting something? And obviously they get saved by her. And in a similar panel, you see Luke, he basically has blown up the moon bases and everyone thanking him because the people could do the supply run and save Turin 7. 
R2-D2 also manages to get in his own little escape pod and manages to escape just before the thing starts to kind of fall apart and things. And then Luke is flying and Vader's TIE fighter is around and they're kind of sensing each other in some ways. And they're going to try and kind of fight each other and things. And then Luke just passes Vader and then immediately activates hyperdrive and disappears. Vader shoots the rest of the Harbinger and completely blows it up. And then he says that Scar Squadron have failed. And the comic essentially ends with Scar Squadron saying that, yep, they lost the boy, and Creel even lost an arm, so now he's got this robotic arm. But the one thing that they do have is they haven't come back empty-handed, because Vader's like, well, you failed, you know, why would I trust you again? And the reason is because they've managed to capture C-3PO, and that is where this comic ends. Oh, that was a lot of talking. Sorry if I spoke a bit fast there. There was a lot of information to, to deal with. Um, thank you so much for listening, guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to say what's coming up over the few weeks and things. So what I've got planned for next week is actually going to be my first Star Wars book review. I have read lots of Star Wars books. Well, I think about six. Um, and I haven't done any book reviews as of yet, but I thought I'd do the one that I read most recently, which is Master and Apprentice. And it links in quite well with the sort of Dooku thing that I did uh, last episode. So... It's just going to be it's going to be a proper book review. I'm not going to do spoilers or anything. It's going to be a spoiler-free review, at least for the first part. When I start going more into the story detail, I will say, look, I'm going into the story detail here. And I'm just going to give some information. There's a character called Rael Avaros, who is, in my opinion, one of the coolest Jedi around. I'm going to do... It's almost just an excuse to talk about Rael Avaros quite a lot, because he's just such a cool character. And obviously, you get a lot more information about Qui-Gon. Um, the prophecies are actually in there as well. So Master and Apprentice, I believe there are six different prophecies and I'm going to be reading each of them and telling you what I kind of think they mean. Um, one of like, one of them is the main Chosen One prophecy, but you actually get a fuller, more bigger version of it. Because normally you just hear the one who bring balance to the Force, but it's actually like two sentences worth of stuff. So I'm going to be doing that, talking about the prophecies, Qui-Gon Obi-Wan, some of the major things that happen in uh, that book and stuff. I won't be spoiling it, I don't think. Maybe when I come to record it. But when I come to record it, I'll make sure that the first section of it will be spoiler free and i'll just talk about certain things that happen in it and then maybe at a point i'll say okay spoilers now if you want to read the book don't listen any further and then maybe i'll go into some more of the detail of actually how the thing concludes because it is a really good book and i really really recommend it um to anyone it's also written by claudia gray who is the person who wrote lost stars which is the book i'm reading at the moment and it is really really cool i really recommend the book to everyone you know go on audible go on all those usual places to try and find it if you want to listen to it rather than read it but i'm going to do a book review and do a lot of the little connections and stuff that i kind of do in this thing as well but trying to avoid spoilers at least for the start and then the following week is going to be the, the final volume of the darth vader comics so number 29 is going to be volume 4 end of games so that'll be the finale of the first run of vader comics done by kieran gillen and then that will finish that and then the following week which is going to be number 30 i am probably going to do an episode which is going to be the Introducing Dr. Afra episode. So it's going to be with my pal Tony Farina, who is on the Indie Comic Spotlight, which is another show you can listen to on the feed of Comics in Motion, where you're likely listening to this. And we're just going to have... It's going to be more of a chat. So it's going to be less of me verbally waterboarding you with all the Star Wars stuff. And it's going to be me and Tony speaking about Dr. Afra as a character, how she was in the Vader comics as a kind of... It's almost like a roundup as well as an introduction for people who don't necessarily want to listen to all the Vader comics because the next main run that I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be tackling the Dr. Afra comics. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is because the Dr. Afra comics, much like the Darth Vader comics, run parallel to the main run of Star Wars comics. So the Star Wars runs... I think there's like 
10 or 11 or 12 volumes of the main run of Star Wars comics. There's four of Darth Vader and I think there's seven of Dr. Aphra. And there is a crossover event with Dr. Aphra and the main run of Star Wars comics, which is actually how I got into Star Wars comics, but that's a story for another day. And yeah, so that that's basically where we're going from here. Then I'm going to at some point do, you know, there's going to be more Age of Republic stuff. So like the Count Dooku episode I did, I'm going to kind of do that sort of thing with some other characters too. And there's not that many other miniseries that I can think of I haven't tackled as of yet. I did crack out quite a lot of the miniseries to begin with. So that's really what you can expect from Star Wars Comics and Canon over the next few weeks. As always, I'm always open to questions and things like that. So you can email me at StarWarsComicsInCanon at Outlook.com or you can contact me on any of my usual social media places, which is at Genuine Chit Chat. At Genuine Chit Chat, I post about Star Wars Comics and Canon. I post the images of the comics and stuff like that as well, as well as some of the other things I'm getting up to, including comics on trial which i mentioned before there's a link in the description to the thing about comics on trial it's basically on this feed so it was only like last week or so so you have no excuse to go listen to it especially if you love star wars so much and yeah genuine chit chat i do a lot of collaborations and things because i have a different guest on basically every episode i've had tony farina on i've had scott weatherly on but that episode hasn't been released yet so the episode with scott weatherly of 20th century geek that's going to be out in the future that's the person i uh, debated with about um phantom menace and I've also had Chris and Dave of Comics Emotion on um, and things like that. So I'm going to have a lot more people on from the Comics Emotion family too. So if you're one of those amazing people who subscribes to Comics Emotion and manages to listen to every show we've got on this amazing feed, I'm going to start doing more collaborations with those people as well. So if you like conversational podcasts that don't take themselves too seriously, that are uncensored and tangents are always welcomed, listen to genuine chit chat because it's a lot of fun and each episode is about an hour long some of the chats last longer than that but i split them in two to kind of make them a bit more bite-sized and things so that's enough self-promotion from me guys thank you as always for listening i really appreciate it make sure you subscribe to comics in motion because it's joyous to be on this feed and all the other shows are incredible too Uh, i'll talk to all of you guys next saturday for the book review of master and apprentice and as always may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. This week, Comics in Motion has an excellent offer exclusively for our listeners. TKO Comics is revolutionizing the comic industry. They have creator-owned series from heavy hitters like Darth Ennis, Jeff Lemire, Joshua Desart, Roxanne Gay, and many more. If you go to tkopresents.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the code motion20 at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount exclusively for Comics in Motion listeners. That's tkopresent.com slash discount slash motion20 and use the promo code motion20. Happy reading.